Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Welcome to Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath, where experienced leaders share their own brand of leadership to help you develop and improve your own leadership capabilities. And now, here's your host, Dr. Gary. Hello again, this is Dr. Gary making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability, bringing to you another great podcast on leading from the front and my guests today, I'm very excited to introduce Ryan Murphy and Bill Murphy, a father-son team who I met about eight or nine years ago. And Ryan started at that time when I knew him as a salesperson and has gone from salesperson to sales manager to general manager to owner of his father's company. And that progression that I've gotten to watch over the past uh, years has been very exciting for me to see this success. And Ryan, Bill, welcome to my podcast. Thank you, Gary. Yeah, thanks for having us. <laughs> so, Ryan, let's start with you. Let's start with the young guy yeah. and, and ask you about this coming into your dad's company. And uh, you had worked, I believe, somewhere else. And then you, you came into Redeco, a uh, metal refinishing company. And you can talk a little bit about that. But talk a little bit about your background and then how you came to come to work for your dad. Yeah, background, you know, I always wanted to get into, I always admired the him owning his own business. And he had multiple different business ventures when I was younger. And just the idea of, of working on different things and the freedom that that had and the you know, the taking the ownership, I always kind of wanted to be a business owner myself. And I guess years back, we ended up, he came to me after college, I moved around, uh, bounced around the country and some different jobs just to get a feel for the real world out there and uh, moved back to the area. And uh, he approached me a few years after moving back uh, with a potential opportunity to, to join as a salesman and kind of work with him. And that was it was to me. I was very happy where I was, but it, the decision came down to me not wanting to pass up an opportunity to learn from him. Who better to learn from than him? And you know, even if it didn't work out in the end, we were going to spend a handful of years growing and learning together, get a little bit closer. And I, you know, at that point, if I wanted to branch out and do something different, great. And uh, that that's kind of how it happened. I had the support of my current employer at the time. It was in a, it was a very similar situation with his son was in line to take over that company. It was very family oriented manufacturers, just uh, distribution company. Um, it was just in a different industry. So it, it just, it just felt very, very comfortable. And, you know, I think it, he really assured me that, look, you're young enough to where if it doesn't work out, then I wouldn't worry about it. So I said, great, I'm going to go for it. And um, like I said, the most important thing was to who better to learn from in business than my father. So, Bill, let's let's hear from you on that. You hired your son. I mean, you had that conversation. You hired your son. How did that go for you? What did it feel like? Um, let me jump back further than that, Gary, with share a little story. I guess when Ryan was in college and his younger brother was in high school, uh, we sat around the kitchen counter and I told him a little story and I practiced this, but I told him a story about a friend in my Vistage group whose father came home one day and announced that he had sold the business and it, it, 
My friend used the word, it devastated him because he thought he would be in the business. So I said, before I do something, and I didn't have any plans to do anything, but before I did something, I wanted to talk with them. And I asked the boys, you know, if at any time in the future they saw themselves as part of or owning Rodeca. And uh, Ryan spoke up quietly at first, and he said, yes, he could see himself doing that uh, some years in the future, okay? And his younger brother said, uh, I can see Ryan doing it, and I would pay him to do it because I don't want to. Okay? <laughs> so, uh, it kind of started there. and But even what I saw in Ryan was what I saw a lot of it on the uh, sports field in terms of some leadership and some uh, competitiveness, okay? More so than what I have. So I thought that was a strong point. But we had the conversation, and it was never – I had a reservation that am I bringing him into a slow growth industry and he, he there's a higher and better use of his time and talents. So I have that I had that concern then. I still wonder about that now. Is there something else higher and better use? But it was I guess it was a natural feeling thing. It really wasn't a formal interview process. It wasn't a formal structure. We didn't lay out a, a, a strict timeline or anything like that. It was just it. It just felt natural. We we went through it. And I think, uh, like you said, it was. Uh, I've always had a lot of confidence and trust in him, and hopefully, he's had the same in me. And we just we just uh, went into it. Well, you mentioned Bill the being able to see the talent of leadership and competitiveness in your son, and you know we all like to see the positive things in our children, but you also have to be able to see that from a business standpoint. And the capability. And I've talked to a lot of business leaders that have family members that want to come in and say, go work somewhere else first. And you and Ryan did that. You went and worked with somebody else um, and had an opportunity to have some successes somewhere else and learn some things that now you bring into the, the family business. I also love the mindset of, you know, try it. If you like it, that's great. If you don't, you need to move on. You know, that's fine, too. It kind of takes some of the pressure off, doesn't it? I was going to say that exact same thing. It, it took a lot of the pressure off because the, that expectation of I have to come in here and it's going to fail or he's going to be disappointed if if I got in it and felt like it wasn't right. I remember on multiple occasions him bringing it up specifically saying, you know, is this, you, know you, you still want to do this? You know, he made it, He made a point to continue that conversation and not just make assumptions and not apply the pressure, but to, to make sure that I was, you know, still fully invested, whether it was one year in or five years in, or, you know, I guess what, seven years we, we worked together. And let me go back 40 years and say, contrary to the advice of my wife, I worked for uh, my father-in-law for two and a half years and that didn't work out. Okay. And that somewhat led to, you know, purchasing Rodeco in 1982. So I know that you can go in with the best intentions and the most enthusiasm, but a lot of times the fit isn't there. Yeah, that's a great that's a great point, Bill, that uh, your experience with that with family allowed you, I think, to create a context and a scenario for Ryan that took a little bit of the pressure off and gave him the same choice you had. That If you do need to move on, if this doesn't work out, it's OK. You're still my son. Mm -hmm. That is always going to be there. And I think that's an important part of this, don't you think? Yes, definitely. I mean, yeah. we're always going to have Thanksgiving together, yeah. whether we had a good year or bad year. 
So talk a little bit about the transition, Ryan, you came in, you jump into sales. What was that like when you started? And then each, each step of the way from, from sales to sales manager, to general manager, owner, and talk a little bit about that. And then Bill, I want you to kind of jump in as we went down this path and, and how you had to give up the reins. I mean, you had to back off, right? Yeah. So how, how did that all work? So when we started, there there was a sales manager in between us and we helped on hiring, but uh, just taking it day by day, week by week, because, you know, having a concept of the whole company, I was new to outside sales and learning the products that we were selling. I had worked in the shop as a kid, but you really didn't learn the products. Um, You learned about the company, but not really what you're selling. So uh, just going through that took quite a bit and there wasn't a lot of structure to start with. So I felt like it was just running around um, like a chicken with my head cut off, just trying to sell as much as I can work as hard as I could. And, you know, not until the transition of that sales manager um, leaving, did we really start to get a lot of structure behind the defining of the roles. And that's really where you came in and played a part in, in helping our company was the, the sales structure side of things. So once I get a better grasp of that, it started all making a lot more sense to me. Um, so what it took about three years or so. And then at that point, my dad came and said, all right, I want you to be sales manager. Now I'm tired of doing this part time and I'm not doing it very well. And uh, so at that moment, I thought I'm barely learning sales. It's only been three years. There's still so much more I can learn in products and just being a better professional salesman to now leading the other salesmen, which most had been here longer than myself. Um, so that, that part had a little bit of a, a doubt in my mind that I don't know if I'm ready for it, but you know, he, he believed in me. So, but I, I was excited for the challenge. Like it, it didn't scare me at all in terms of what I would be doing and, and how I'd be going about it. it um, a lot of it's because there was a little more structure around it and, I, Gary, I still remember the day when Kenny, the previous sales manager, who was probably as old as I am now, okay, and when he left, I remember calling you and, and telling you, uh, Ken just resigned, okay, which that's what we would call it, um, and you, your first word out of your mouth was congratulations, because okay, <laughs> you saw him as a roadblock. So I stepped back in being sales manager for, for three years, not having a sales manager, because uh, I had had a couple before Ken at the time. But I remember going out and making the sales calls with Ryan. Now, we did run around a lot. Okay, We did make a lot of, you know, let's go see one more customer. Let's go, you know, that. But that was, that was not so much teaching about the product, but more about what I expected work ethic-wise. Okay, What it takes to, you know, sales a lot of times is numbers. Okay. You want to double your sales, you probably have to double your sales calls. Okay, you double your prospecting effort. So, I remember doing that years ago in Sumter, South Carolina. We made 18 calls that one day, and it was the last one that was the best one. It was a cold call. So, so from a leadership standpoint, let's let's dig in a little bit for that transition you went from sales to sales management. Now, I will tell you, I, I remember the numbers. You were the number one salesperson in the company, and we had talked about how that positions you well to be the sales manager, because people would respect that. And there was a cut, like you said, there were some people that had been there longer than you. You still 
because of your your drive and your competitiveness, what you learned from your dad, you became the number one sales guy. Moving into sales management requires a different type of skills. Do you remember like that transition? You said you had a little doubt, a little scary. It's, it can be scary. You're in a leadership position now, not just a leadership responsibility of the number one salesperson, but a leadership position. What skills did you learn when you look back? What would you like to say to people that need to make that transition? That were some of the biggest learnings that you had, the, the skills that you had to learn in making that transition? Because that's a big deal. Well, it, it, it wasn't about me. It was really about how do, how do you best connect with each of those people individually once you get into, into that role? So how do you motivate? I mean, how do you connect to get them to want to work harder or to buy in a little bit more? Not discouraging. I would use to hound on some of the weaknesses or some of the salesmen say, we've got to work on this. We've got to be better. We've got to be better. Well, eventually that gets very discouraging to that individual because uh, I'm focused more on the negatives than highlighting the positives. Even though they're there, they're not hearing it near as much. I had a couple eye-opening uh, moments with that. But I mean, that was the main thing. It's like, I've got to find a way to connect and motivate with these guys. And it, they're all different. I mean, everyone has a different personality. Um, some like to be praised within the group setting. Some, you know, don't like that at all. So it's like verbal nuance was was the biggest part for me to learn to get people to to perform at their at their peak. So, Bill, when you were watching all of this, you think back was was there any specific things in terms of coaching Ryan that you can remember uh, advising? Like you talked about in the sales role, you went on a sales calls with them. And you showed them what it takes in terms of discipline and numbers and, and work ethic. What about the sales management position? You just, I mean, you've been doing it for many, many years. You say, I did it for three years. No, you did it your whole life before you turned it over to him, really, in a lot of ways. What do you remember him needing to learn as a new sales manager? And what did, where, how did you help him? I probably didn't say, Brian, you need to learn this. I probably said, this is what's important to the business or important to me. And being a analytical guy, it probably was a bunch of numbers, okay, in, in terms of, so it was it was more telling them what was important to me rather than saying, hey, Ryan, you got to do X, Y, and Z. I was completely comfortable with him going out there and uh, making mistakes, okay? I trusted his competitiveness that if he lost something, that would motivate him more on the next one. So I, I, I kind of trusted that process. He, he spoke a lot more in strategy than do this or that. It was, here's the strategy. This is what we need to be doing. This is where we, you know, we need you because this is where I need to be. And it was easy to buy in because we both speak that kind of strategy mindset and uh, don't let a lot of the, the smaller details worry us or keep us down. So I think it helped motivate me and, and, yeah, it seemed that it was a little scary because I didn't know what was going on. But hey, the company needs this, and I'm I'm ready to do it. So I, I think he where he says it's numbers. I think it was more strategy and and getting that buy in on myself because then hey, I believe it, and this is what we need, and this is what we're going to do. And it was a teamwork. And part of it was some of those things did worry me, but at least I was smart enough not to butt in and say it. <laughs> Keep your mouth shut, right? Yeah, I thought he wanted to tell me stuff, but he never would. So here's what I'm hearing, though, from both of you about several things that you talked about that is a, a very, very important leadership principle or rule almost 
is focus on your strengths. And, and you saw the strengths, Ryan, that your dad brought to the party and looking at numbers that taught you certain things that taught you not just the spreadsheets and the value of a P&L and all these things, but also the numbers in terms of activity out in the, out on the street, the number of calls you need to make, the number of contacts you need to make. And you, you, you utilize that to build your own skills in your own way. And then to be able to understand the strengths of, you, you said, I was focused on a lot of the weaknesses with the sales team after a while that became discouraging and you shifted and that's something that a lot of people don't do. Yeah. And he would do that to me as well. So I would say, you know, he has his strengths. So if I just try to stack up my abilities or strengths to his, it's almost like we're a compliment because he would talk about how I am so much better at other aspects than he was. And he, sometimes he would preface at my age or just in general, but it was still like, yeah, you're really good at this stuff over here. So don't just feel like you're comparing yourself to, to how I've been successful. you got to be successful on your own. And that did give me a lot of confidence to, to say, yeah, you know what? I am a lot better or I, I do have some strengths over here than, than what he brought to the table for the team on that front. A lot of that was some of the communication and the personal connection with some of these guys. And, you know, there was value in, in bringing that to the team as opposed to strictly what was your call number this week. That was important, but there was a, another level to it. So that's where I really kind of helped bring up the team. Yeah, what got us here isn't what's going to get us there. So I got Rodeco here, but uh, I knew I wasn't going to be the, the one to – seek out new opportunities like I should and have the energy to do that. So, you know, that was important there. You know, I have to realize that I have limitations. Yeah. And I'll tell you something else. I pulled up some of our coaching notes, Brian, from about eight years ago. Oh yeah. Yeah, I did. And, but what I'm looking at are strengths, your strength finders that we did. Uh, and number one strength is a relator, you know, so you talk about people and how you do that, which is not as great a strength with bill, but your fifth level is analytical which connects with Bill. So you have some strengths that brings that together where you guys can communicate more effectively and then you take it and make it your own. And I think that's what makes this team powerful is the respect for each other's strengths and understand the differences. And that's, that's what's uh, kept you going for a long time. It's really good. Yeah. So go, let's talk, let's forward and, and going to general management bill it's time for you to step away and and kind of let the little eagle fly as we say right mm-hmm. so you let ryan take the bull by the horns to i don't know how many other cliches i can come up with right now but i'll, I'll try to come up with a few and and ryan is is taking the uh the organization and moving it forward so first of all bill i want to hear from you what was it like at multiple levels number one to see your son succeed with that which had to be kind of exciting but also was it hard for you to let go? No, I don't think it was hard for me to let go. I guess, again, you're coming back to confidence and trust again. And I was still there. You know, I was still an option for him to bounce things off. I think uh, the Vistage group, and you were in the Vistage group by this time when you were uh, general manager, you know, so that he had a support network, okay, of peers. And I think that's that's very important for any small businessman, whether it's a father-son thing like this, but I think it's very important to understand that others have the same problems that you're facing. But no, you know, I don't think it was a problem at all. 
transfer to general manager. Hey, it's one thing off my list. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, and I have to tell our listeners that you did have like three other businesses that that, that you were part of that kept you busy. So, or they kept me as it was a distraction too. I think a couple of those were distractions. Right. I shouldn't have had them. So now, a little honesty here, Ryan. I'm going to put you on the spot because uh, were there days when you wanted to say to Bill, "Hey, why don't you go work on those other businesses? I'm busy right now, and leave me alone. I got to figure this out." Did, was there ever a point when you felt like that? I'm sure there might have been some moments, but it wasn't an overriding feeling, that's for sure. Um, yeah. Because it really was. It, of all the transitions, that one was probably the easiest, uh, the least scary, or I don't know. It was just very natural. I'd, I'd already kind of moved in, uh, moved into town, and was here at the office a lot of times anyway. So it was, it was just changing a, a balance of duties, but it, it was a very natural process, that transition. Yeah, I mean, it's all the credits to him because it, I would imagine in a lot of instances, it's difficult to let go of things. Well, for him, it felt, it seemed very natural. He was like, here you go, have fun with it. And there was no uh, animosity or looking over shoulders saying, oh, you're, you didn't do it like me or you're doing this, uh, questioning what I'm doing. It was very much belief that I was going to just take it over and he was very comfortable leaving uh, and and moving on. I'm here if you need me. And I mean, well, for 30 years, I never felt that I was the best sales manager in the world. Okay. And it, you know, it was only one way to do things. I, I felt I was at best an average sales manager, either because I was distracted with the other businesses or the general business management that had to be out there. You know, when I say sales manager, I could just put in the general manager, the same, same sentence. You know, I never thought I was killing it out there. And I had confidence that he had more upside than I do. So let's try to wrap this up with some advice. Okay. Some advice for other people that might be in either a family or a transition where a business owner is, is kind of moving on to the next thing. If you could write yourself a letter and go back you know, five or six or seven years, Bill, is there anything that you would like to have told yourself? Is there any advice that you might give other people to say, or maybe there's some principles that you followed that said, this is, this is the advice that I would give for people. What would that be? I think when I joined my Vistage group and uh, I was, a, I was a worker and I had to realize that working hard and being a good leader almost can be mutually exclusive at times. As a good leader, you have to be, um, a communicator, which I wasn't the best at, but you also have to uh, know what the values are and know what the vision is and work on strategy. That's more important because everybody in the organization, it depends on the, the leader to know where they're going to be in three years. They don't care. They know they're going to take care of the next three weeks. We, you know, we as leaders have to outline and say, yeah, we got this nailed. Uh, this is where we're going to be in three years. And we worked on, the, we brought in the Rockefeller Habits maybe 10 years ago, where we'd actually do a, a formalized strategic planning each year, each quarter, and, and talk about that. But I, if I had to give advice, I'd say, know what, your, know what your values are, okay? And then know what you'll tolerate and what's, uh, what you won't tolerate, okay? You know, I see a lot of people out there tolerate a lot of stuff in the name of loyalty, to a customer, to a customer, or to an employee. So, how much incompetency or running against your values will you tolerate and, and have an excuse for? And that never works out. No, because it hurts everybody else in the organization, and it shows that you're not really committed to those values, right? 
Right. Holding somebody accountable to the values is actually an opportunity as a leader to demonstrate to everybody else that they're important, not just to the person you're talking to. So, Ryan, basically the same question for you is uh, for those people that are going through a transition. What what really made it easy for you and what what made it um, uh, uh, what would you suggest to people and people that are in your dad's position and how he treated you? I mean, there's some real nuggets here that you've talked about, I think, that we could advise and coach other people and going through that transition that really made it a fun journey for you. It wasn't a challenging uh, journey for you. It was, it might've been hard, but it sounds like you, you kind of enjoyed the journey. Yeah. I, so I guess to answer your first question, it would be what made it easy would be his mentality to step away. And mm-hmm. you know, he had that belief in me. So I wasn't questioning myself a whole lot. I mean, I was questioning myself, but not because of, because of him. So it was like he sees this, and I'm, you know, he's allowing me to, to run with it and make it my own. And so, uh, you know, that was deep down. If he believed in me, he it's he knew better, and he's been around this company forever. And if he believed and felt that comfortable just to step away and give me the reins, then then there's something there, and I can grab a hold of that, and uh, and that can that can stay with you. Um, the the biggest challenge would be once I purchased uh, and bought him out would be taking that coworker general manager role to a degree and, and transitioning the company and how I'm going to lead a company that is my own. And that process going through there was probably the, has been the biggest challenge because, you know, what, like you said, what worked then might not work now, how he ran the company and how he was the strategic visionary it's trying to continue that legacy and continue the, the upward momentum that we had as a company, but then also make it my own and manage the people that had been managed a certain way for 20 years. You know, that's going to look different. You know, I can't fit into that exact mold. So that was probably the biggest challenge. Shifting over to ownership, he had a big rock he had to carry around. And it was the older employees that have been around for a while, the older processes that have been around. Hey, the balance sheet, you know, you start off with a balance sheet. It's not like you're starting off with a a clean slate on something. All the employees heard me talking about these three values. Boom, boom, boom. We even reinforced them each month. And now you have to go. And the company has to be, instead of my values, it has to be your values. But I think our values are so closely aligned. Uh, I don't think that it was it was a big jump for the, the company. I, I remember one conversation because it was similar to the stage when I went from salesman to sales manager, you know, going to owner was one of those. All right, here you go. I'm out of here. Well, I, well, can you buy this from me? And I was like, all right, let's go for it. You know, he one of the things he said was. The sooner you start making your own mistakes, the faster you're going to grow. And I need to get out of the way and allow you to make your own mistakes. Um, so that that really stuck with me as his mentality of, you know, you got it. It's not going to be perfect, but I trust and believe that you got it. So uh, I'm going to go run my other companies, and and I'm here if you need me. And I I tried my best not to need him and to to make my own mistakes. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great way to just end this because we talk in the leadership all the time. If you want to increase your speed of success, increase the number of mistakes. 
and then get really, really good at fixing those mistakes. You know? <laughs> but I, I want to highlight a couple of things that you said that I think are important. And Brian, what you said was leading my company and, and making it mine, you know, because you can transition the financial ownership of it. But when you talk about the relationships you have with the people that are still there, it becomes your company and you need to let people know that it is now your company and they can't get on the phone and call Bill and and bitch to him about something that Ryan did and get any kind of action because the, the, the phone's disconnected. It's not there anymore. And I think that there's always a transition, those relationships with that. But doing that in a way that making that change, as I wrote a note, is that making that change without creating challenges and difficulties on purpose. You're going to have them anyway, but trying to be strategic with that and and having the values there, having the mission and the vision and creating that company, you're going to make mistakes. And how you handle those mistakes as you go forward actually builds the relationship. So I heard a lot of really great stuff here. Bill, Ryan, I, I want to thank you for taking the time uh, to be on the podcast, to talk about your journey, your successes. I personally have seen both of you grow over the last eight or 10 years and absolutely loved seeing what I've seen because there just aren't a lot of father-son arrangements like this that work out as well as it has with the two of you. And when I look at the two of you and see the level of love and respect that you have for each other and the ability to make this transition so well, it, it just warms my heart to see it. And I thank you so much for being on my podcast. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Gary, great talking to you. So I am Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassion, accountability. Thank you for listening to Leading from the Front. Be well. Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com. S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S.com. Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit petercats.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.